dresses on. Yep, here we go. <laughs> Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, King of kings and Lord of lords, and the Son of the living God and Son of David, come. Come now to your church that you have purchased with your blood. Come with your gracious presence that we may rejoice in you. Come and rule over us that we may serve and follow you. Come with your love, humility, and perfect obedience, and let your lowliness become our glory. Come into the midst of your people and bless us, for we are your heritage. Forgive us our sins, and do not angrily cast away your servants, for you are meek and gracious. Clothe us with the garments of your of your righteousness, for you are the only righteous one and our helper. Satisfy us with the abundance of your mercy, for you did become poor for our sakes, that by your poverty we might be made rich. Heal us, Lord Jesus, for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Man, I hate it when I find typos afterwards. But at least you knew what it was supposed to be in <laughs> Keep me on my toes. Good morning, guys. Good morning. How you doing, Mo? Good morning. Okay. We got a, uh, a handout there. Yes. and Excellent. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Um, we actually we actually handed out some lunches on the way here. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody up at the corner, a single mom. So. Okay. I thought that was a good reason to be late. It is absolutely <laughs> a good reason to be late. All right, we are working our way through uh, Romans, and uh, anybody off the top of your head know how many chapters are in Romans? Sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. So we're working our way to halfway. <laughs> Still in chapter seven. Um, it, when you look at the book of Romans, the the first half of the book really deals with the the righteousness of God, and and um, we are we're really pressing hard on uh, the high point. Of, of the book of, of Romans in terms of that, that great message of the righteousness that comes by faith. After that, it's going to shift a little bit into now that we have this righteousness that comes by faith, how do we live? But, uh, but right now, we're still, we're still exploring this whole, you know, what does it mean to be righteous through Jesus' death and resurrection, you know, and, and this be something that's given to us as opposed to something that we've earned or something that we uh, take hold of on our own. So, speaking again of the law, uh, Paul writes, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might, be become, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I love this phrase that sin might be shown to be sin and that through the commandment sin might become sinful beyond measure. Like it, That's one of those phrases that's worth kind of going back over a couple of times. Um, th this idea that, that the law um, and death is there 
to show sin to actually be sin. And because this is such a, a, a horrific thing that sin becomes something that we recognize as sinful beyond measure, that it is actually really a big deal. And that flies counter to the way that the world, and we're part of the world sometimes, right? We still live in this world and we're shaped by it, yeah. Um, it, it, it impacts the way that we look at sin, you know. A, a lot of times we will look at other people's sin as sinful beyond measure, but mine's just little, you know. Um, it's not all that bad. Right, exactly. Um, but uh, um, I think that it's important for us to let sin be sinful beyond measure, mm -hmm. to let all of it be something that, that boy, this is, this, this is a big deal. This matters. Um, and part of the reason that it matters is because Jesus came for sinners. So um, in Luke 19, we have the account of Jesus uh, with Zacchaeus. You know, you, you, you maybe remember the story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbs up in his tree, right? Um, we usually translate it as sycamore fig tree. Um, because there are all these crowds that are around that want to see Jesus. And uh, apparently Zacchaeus was of diminutive height. He was short. Yeah. I'm not saying he was a midget. I'm just saying he wasn't very tall. And uh, he, uh, he climbed up in the tree because he wanted, the, he wanted to be able to see Jesus as he's going by. And uh, Jesus is going by, stops, looks up. Hey, Zach, what you doing? I'm coming to your house. Yeah, surprise, right? Zacchaeus doesn't know that this is the uh, that this is the plan, um, but he is definitely a man of uh, of means, mostly ill-gotten means. But he he's got some wealth, and uh, um, so he's able to uh, to pull off you know uh, family and uh, plus thirteen um, and. Uh, uh, Jesus comes to his house, and uh, um, it, it, this is also a big surprise to uh, to the crowds, you know, because Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's considered to be a traitor. He he is persona non grata in, in terms of of how the community would would look at him. And Jesus comes to his house, and he's there, and we don't know what the conversation was like or anything. But uh, Zacchaeus repents. He, he clearly comes to faith, and that is evidenced by his repentance. And, I mean, he says, you know, if I've cheated anybody, everybody goes, <laughs> if. Uh, you know, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to return to them fourfold. Any idea where that idea would have come from? In the Old Testament, if you steal something, that's how that's handled. If you're convicted of stealing, you return it times four. You know, he's he's saying that real there's real justice here. So you know, he he repays people. He gives them four times what you know he would have taken from them. Yeah, you know, and uh, 
And Jesus says at the end of this, he says, you know, he says that salvation has come to this man because he's the son of Abraham. He, you know, he has come to faith. And he says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. If you want to be found by Jesus, you have to have been lost. But we don't want to be lost. We want to figure this out for ourselves. You know, oh, I, you know, I, I heard the story and it made sense to me. And so I decided that this is the, the path I'm going to follow. That's not the way Jesus works. He seeks and saves the lost. Um, another example, another tax collector. Um, this is from Luke chapter 5. Um, this is right after Jesus called Levi. Um, he's referred to as Levi in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we know uh, from another Gospel that his name was Matthew as well. Not unusual for people to have multiple names depending upon their, their context. It's not as bad as a Russian novel where everybody has like six different names. Um, but often they would have a, a Hebrew name and they would have a more Gentile type of a name. Um, and uh, so Levi is very much his Hebrew name. Uh, and Matthew would probably be like his business name that he would use. You know. um, and, and it says this, uh, and Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. So here's the rub. Are, are there actually any real righteous people in the world? Only a lot of them would think they are. Right. Um, so there are no people who in and of themselves are actually righteous. Um, and so Jesus is not excluding the Pharisees on their actual righteousness, but they are excluded on the presumption that they are righteous. Jesus comes for, for sinners. Um, I, 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 a couple quotes here from Martin Luther that I, I think are important for us. Uh, he, he once said, If you see yourself as a little sinner, you will inevitably see Jesus as a little savior. I, yeah, I don't need very much forgiveness. Thank you very much, Jesus. Whereas if you're, you know, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. You know, Psalm 51 uh, is a, a beautiful, beautiful uh, exposition of confession and trusting in God's forgiveness and his mercy. This is the psalm that David wrote uh, after he was caught uh, in his affair with Bathsheba. Just really, I mean, it holds nothing back. You know, the guts are on the table type of thing. I mean, it's, you know, because when you're dealing with sin, I mean, it's messy stuff. And, you know, we don't like for our messy stuff to be out there for other people to see. But Jesus is kind of like, can't hide it. 
not from him. You know, let your sin be sin. Let it be big. Because Jesus is big enough to handle it. You, you won't experience him. Is it so much let it be big or it just is big? It just is. So, I mean, let it means that you're, oh, okay. Let it means... Recognize it. Recognize it and accept it. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't try to, don't, don't be in denial about it. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Right. Don't try to sugarcoat it. But not like sin big, like wind big. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's actually our next quote here. Okay. So um, Luther once wrote a letter to, uh, to uh, Philip Melanchthon. I've, I've mentioned Philip Melanchthon before. Um, very important figure in the Reformation. Um, Philip is actually the scholar. Uh, Luther is kind of the, he's a scholar too, don't get me wrong. But uh, he, he, he's the blue collar, get in there, let's fight about this uh, guy. You know, Philip is the, uh, I'd just rather stay on the sideline with my books type of a person, okay? Um, but uh, apparently at some point, Philip was feeling some you know, guilt and stuff. And uh, um, he, he wrote this to Philip. God does not save you from, God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners, be a sinner and let your sin be strong. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. That, that part that says be a sinner and let your sins be strong, that's the part that's often translated as sin boldly. Um, it's not about imaginary sins. It, 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 there are plenty of real ones. Let, let them be real sins and let them, let them be a big deal. But at the same time, your trust in Christ is stronger. That, yeah, my sin is a big deal, but did you see what Jesus did for that? You know, there's that famous um, place in the Wartburg Castle where there's allegedly ink on the wall uh, where Luther threw the the story varies, actually. Um, the one that I grew up with was he threw an inkwell against the wall. And um, there are other stories that I found more recently that it was a chamber pot. <laughs> I think it's most, mostly uh, um, apocryphal. Uh, I've heard that they uh, refresh the ink every year. Um, <laughs> sell more tickets. <laughs> sell more tickets, exactly. But you know, all of that was supposedly this argument with the devil who was accusing him, and uh, you know, and I think one of the things that we grab from Martin Luther and from the scriptures, this sin is real, and it's it's bad. You know, we try to sugarcoat it, we try to you know hide it and cover it. And I'm not saying that you should air your dirty laundry before everybody. But certainly when we're dealing with God, you know, we, we, don't, we don't candy coat who we are. He knows better anyhow. So when, when, you, when you read this, how, how should we view sin? 
Well, a sin is a sin, whether it is imaginary sin, or whether it is a little sin, or whatever sin it is. Mm -hmm. And um, Jesus wants, uh, wants the sinner to be uh, repent, because he wants our Christ to be rejoiced. Mm -hmm. so that's how I view it. How does the world view sin? In scales. Okay, scales. Can you say more about that? Well, just you've got your little white lies, and then you've got your bigger lies, and then you've got uh, out and out with deceit. Okay. Uh, and it goes on and on and on, and you're robbing a bank, and you killed somebody while you robbed it. Okay. Well, I think increasingly we've got people who don't even see the sin. Well, they, yeah, just, they, they there is no at, sin. It's just their yeah. actions and it's the... Or they stop at this level. ...view that we put on them. They stop at this level and these, these don't count. Okay. But those do. Okay. Sin is a bad thing somebody else does. What I did was just a minor little mistake, no big deal. But that guy, he's sinning. Okay. Even though it's the same thing. They yeah. see sins, not sin. He, yes. They see sins, not sin. That they see what you do. They see, uh, well, that's you're being a hypocrite with that. You're being selfish with that. You're being, but sin is a state in which we're born. From the time we're conceived, we are in sin, and that I think is invisible. Yeah. So they see the actions. They don't see the uh, the condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, how might our view of sin affect our confession? Forgive them all their sins. <laughs> <laughs> well, to the first Luther quote, if you view it as little, it's like, oh, well, I need a little, little help here. The rest of it, i got it covered. Okay, all right. Or kind of like, you know, like I sin a little bit, but I'm not as big as a lot of people. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, when we come to confess our sins, if we see, see them as little, how is that going to... How, how is that going to change, or how is that going to inform the way we do that confession? Yeah, yeah. I think that's how, like, by confession and absolution, that's how we submit our mind and soul to God and let Him um, take over our Christ and lead us uh -huh. or like guide us. Right. You know, so in our tradition we tend to do um, what we call corporate confession and absolution, okay? Uh, you know, so we're there, corporate as in corpus body, right? And so we tend to do this all together. And, you know, we, we, we've got some pretty strong statements in our confession, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, I've sinned in thought, word, and deed, what I've done, what I've left undone, um, can't free myself from my sinful condition, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. Um, 
even that that it's deserving of, of um, God's wrath in, in some of the confessions that we use. Um, do we do we always view our our sin as really deserving God's condemnation? Not usually. Not yeah. His stuff deserves condemnation. Mine is just a man. Yeah. So how might that impact our reception of absolution then? Well, of course. <laughs> I like that. Well, of course. <laughs> Duh. Of course my sins are forgiven. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't that big of a deal to start with. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, it's like when you're talking to a kindergarten kid. They don't generally think that the things they did wrong are all that big a deal. But mom's just being a fuss pot. <laughs> And a lot of us never manage to get rid of that. Yeah. It, it's your idea. I know better. Okay. Similar to when you're sick, you have the sniffles. Sometimes you think, well, I, maybe I don't need to see a doctor. I can just tough it out with some ibuprofen and some sleep. Uh, but then, you know, if you get really sick, there's no doubt in your mind that you need to see a doctor. Right. So mm -hmm. if you're really thinking your sin's not that... Big, maybe stay away from the doctor. Ah. So if sin's not deadly, if it's not the you know, I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just a little bit sick. Yeah, I'm okay. You know, what do I need a doctor for? But if my sin is, this is going to kill me, or I'm going to be so miserable for, you know, now I do need somebody to come and intervene. And the absolution is the, the, the announcement of that intervention, right? Your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. You know, so when we, look, when we look at our sin and then we look at the cross, you know, in Colossians it talks about Jesus on the cross nailing our sins there as a public spectacle. You know, it's this, he takes it all just right up there. And, uh, you know, is it a public spectacle? Oh, I told a little white lie. Is it, you know, it, I mean, our sins should be truly shameful in our mind. That doesn't mean that we go around, woe is me all the time, you know, you know, with our cat of nine tails whipping our backs, you know, and, you know, I mean, because at the same time that we're sinners, we're also saints, right? We, we, we live in that reality. And so, while we are certainly ashamed of our sins, we also have joy because Christ is our, our Savior. And we got, we got both of these things going on. So, um, if sin really is a big deal, how might our attitude about sin affect our witness to our neighbors? Well, I think one of the things that hasn't really been mentioned here is the fact we're asking for forgiveness for our sins, but have we given forgiveness to other people for their sins to us or okay. the things that they've done? It's great for us to ask for forgiveness, but you know the trespasses that somebody else does to us, have we forgiven them? So that could certainly affect your witness to your neighbor, right? Because... Oh, I have this forgiveness, but boy, oh boy, you know, I don't want them to have it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even if it's 
it may not even necessarily be that you don't not that you don't want it necessarily, but you don't maybe recognize it or give it freely to them as well. Okay. You know, you you have your own pitfalls in life, and you recognize your shortcomings. But what about somebody else? Okay. How else? We tend to magnify the other guy's sin and minimize our own. Okay. They've got a fatal pneumonia. I've just got a little sniffle. Okay. So how's that going to impact your witness to them? It weakens it. Okay, how so? Because it's hard to know how to talk to somebody when you're putting them in such kind of a thing. How do you say, I, Jesus forgives your sin, but my, mine... <laughs> Mine's not a big deal. Yeah, mine's not a big deal. And I think a lot of times we order sins according to what we think is really bad. And it's not the action... It's the fact that we are sinful. And someplace it's, you know, even our righteousness is like filthy rags. Nothing we do is really good. We need almost to apologize for being here on earth at all. Um, But we see the concreteness of the other guy's sin, and we kind of go, ah, well, about our own. And... Sometimes we don't think enough about sin, and sometimes we think too much about it. We kind of wallow in it, as okay. though we're almost, look what I did, like a three-year-old. Okay, now you're onto something that I think it might also impact our, our, our witness to our neighbors. Because if we're wallowing in sin, then the question is, who am I to judge? Who am I to talk with somebody else about who Jesus is. I mean, look at my life. I'm such a mess. You know, why would anybody listen to me? Yeah, I, I think one of the things too is we'll, we'll they'll, so they may even say, geez, I shouldn't have done that. And your response might be, oh, it's okay, everybody does it. Ah, okay. You know, and let excusing them instead of, you're right, you shouldn't have done that. And, you know, talk it through. But so many times, uh, no big deal. We all do it. We all we all go through a stoplight, stop sign once in a while. We all go, you know. Okay. So of, you just kind of normalize it. Normalize it. And right. if it's all normalized, no who needs forgiveness? Right. No big deal. Yeah. Okay. I think if, if you really need to have a perspective of just spiritual warfare every minute of every day. Okay. Uh, when we're born, we're eternal beings. And ultimately, it's going to be a place you spend your eternity. Yeah. And then when you say that, you know, we're born into sin, so there's Satan. Satan's already got a leg up, right? So those that don't know Christ, you know, he's got them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's attacking Christians in this way. He wants us to minimize our sin. Right? I mean, this is exactly the way he's going about it. And so from a witnessing perspective, you know, if he could stop witnessing, he's winning. Absolutely. Um, but ultimately, you have to look at your neighbor and say, you know, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. Yeah. You know, and 
You don't want to judge, but you do know the past. You know yep. the golden key. And are you going to share it or not? Right. And why wouldn't you? Well, Satan doesn't want you to. And he'll start digging into yourself. You're not worthy of it. Uh, you know, everybody does it. Or whatever. Or, you know, sit a little, eat a little. It's not that bad. I mean, you really have to look at it as extremely serious and we're extremely forgiven. Yes. Yes. Every day. So... What is it that we have to offer the world? When you think about you know our, our attitude towards sin, our witness to our neighbor, what is it that we have to offer to them? Salvation. Yeah. The truth. True. Everlasting life. Yeah. Forgiveness of sins. And one of the things that I've observed. And you can see this all through the history of the church. I'm not picking on anybody. This is one of those, you got to kind of keep your eye on the ball type of a things. Okay? Um, a lot of times, Christians will say, I'm doing my part for witness because I donated to this charity. Oh, our church witnesses because we gather clothes for the poor. We feed the hungry. Now, are, are, are those all good things to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will any of those things in and of themselves help somebody know Jesus? No. So if our sin is small, if we don't recognize sin as the thing that's the big deal, then when we feed the poor, then we never get around to talking about Jesus. That's one of the things I like about sandwich ministry. Because you're talking to them about Jesus, too. There are a lot of big ministries that are out there that started great Christian witness, sharing the love of Jesus, and then some way they, they, they drift off. And sin is no longer the problem. It's just we got to take care of people. Did I just say it's not good to take care of people? No. Not at all. But it's an outflow. And it becomes a context. We love our neighbors. Why? Because God first loved us. And then as we love our neighbors, and we, when we love our neighbors, we care about their physical well-being, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as we love our neighbors, we care about their physical well-beings, but we also care about their spiritual well-beings. And if we don't take sin seriously, then a lot of times... The physical well-being becomes the focus and the spiritual well-being goes to the wayside. And as our friend Jesus once said, you should have done the first without neglecting the latter. Yeah. We, uh, which is why, like, um, when we, when we uh, do, like, packing the lunch bags, yeah. uh, for uh, what, we, what we prefer, like, our priority is to provide them enough information about who Jesus is and how he's gonna save your life. Yeah. Which is why like when we done our when we do our package, we provide we pack it we pack it up with a sticker and we the first the first list, the first words that every each and every people have gotten is about John three sixteen, which reminds them that Whatever you you are dealing with, or which situation you are now, Jesus has got your back. 
yes. first information, and then we also like provide them other Christian tracks where they can spend their time reading those um, gospel stories and reading those informations. And um, um, this is like a blessing that uh, we noticed. We noticed a lot of people that first thing first when they open up the bag, they spend a lot of time reading the Christian tracks yeah. and reading the information. Yep. So. Yeah, you know, um, there are all kinds of Christian ministries that, that, you know, help people who are, you know, poor, needy, whatever, in different contexts. And I, I remember listening to um, a leader of one of these organizations one time say, um, he, was, he was asked, um, where, where do you get around to actually talking about Jesus? And, uh, and he said, oh, we don't worry too much about that. You know, as we're feeding people, we just kind of figure it's kind of in the air and they'll realize what we're doing. Now, a lot of times in our, when we pray with the homeless or with the group and, and we bring up the fact that this is coming from Jesus, this food is coming from Jesus, not from us. We're just his yep. servants. Yep. Yeah. You know, so we really try to stress that it's not from us, that it's his influence that's... Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, broad brushes. So when you, when you do broad brushes, you're missing major things, right? You know, we tend to talk about the church as liberal or conservative, and... You know, a lot of times the liberal churches tend to be more focused on caring about the people's needs, and conservative churches tend to be focused on um, you know, proclaiming this message. We need both. We need to meet people where they're at, but we also need to speak this word of the forgiveness of sins. They both. Uh, come together. That's that, that's how this actually works because people are whole people, you know. And and we we care about them as complete and total people, you know. So we care about those physical needs, we care about those emotional needs, but we also need to give them that word of life. And so we don't neglect the former, but we continue to do the latter too. Excuse me. Um, in verse 14, he says, The law is spiritual. I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now, Paul is doing something here um, where he is making kind of a division in order to drive a point. All right? We are both body and soul. You, know, you can't say, you know, you know, that like when we die, that the body in the casket, oh, it's just a body. That's not really him or her. No, that is him or her. Um, and you can't say, well, you know, I'm just a spirit, you know, and my goal is to, you know, shuck this mortal coil and, and ascend into the heavens, you know. No, both sides matter, both the physical and the spiritual. Um, we are body and spirit. And when Paul is speaking here of the body, um, because the word that, that is translated uh, flesh can also be translated body. Um, he, he speaks of the body, he speaks of the flesh as being sinful. 
Now, this word body or, or flesh, it, it can mean this stuff, right? The stuff that we're made of. Um, it can also mean all of humanity, depending upon its context. It can be used to, to reference our sinful nature. And it also sometimes talks about the order and the logic of the world in rebellion against God. He is using it very much as that third point. It's that sinful nature that is part of who we are. And so he thinks of things fleshly as sinful and things that are um, spiritual as, as holy or godly. He, he, he's using this for the sake of conversation. He, he's not saying um, that your, your, your body is evil and your soul is good. You got, you got both going on. You know, our souls you know, are, are corrupted with sin, as is our body. But now we have this new life in Christ, and we have this forgiveness and salvation, this new life that we tend to experience more in our spirit. And we, we, we can, can we see the good that God is doing in, in the work of our bodies? Does he ever heal people? Absolutely. Do you ever use your bodies to serve God? Yeah. 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 You know, that, that's, that's good and godly and holy, you know, and, and in your body. Oh, the choir. Are you singing? Yeah. Well, you better get in there. <laughs> so what he's doing is, is he's making a comparison. He's using things that are tangible and intangible in a way to kind of further the discussion. So we know our bodies pretty well. We're not always as aware of our spirits and of our soul. You know, and so he uses the body to talk about our sinfulness because that's always right there in our face. And then he uses our spirit to talk about you know, what Christ is doing in us because a lot of times we're not as aware of that. So, I want to be really clear. When we get to the new creation, when we get to the resurrection, we will be body and soul. We're not, you know, we're not going to be disembodied spirits. We're not, we're not going to be angels. Spoilers. You know, hopefully I haven't disappointed anybody too greatly there. Angels are their own created order. They're their own thing. And... Um, it actually says that someday we're going to judge the angels. That we're, in a sense, above them. Or, in the end, we will be above them. Um, so, we're going to be disembodied, obviously. These bodies die. We get an upgrade. Yeah, so, there, there's a mystery, There, there's a... a kind of a question that the, the Bible does not resolve for us. What happens between the moment we die and the resurrection? You know, there are a number of theories that are out there. Almost all of them have a problem somewhere because God doesn't say exactly. So a lot of people will believe that like the moment you die, you're, 
at the resurrection. Others believe that you go and you're disembodied, kind of floating around with, with God, in kind of this in-between timeless time. Um, you know, others believe that you, know, you just kind of sleep and then you wake up. It, I'm just going to leave that alone. I, I don't know. The Bible's not clear. All I know is you know, that we go to be with Jesus. Um, there does seem to be some kind of awareness between our death and our resurrection. I mean, Samuel comes back from the dead in uh, um, 2 Samuel. Um, no, 1 Samuel. Uh, and uh, Moses and Elijah come back from the dead. You know, actually, you might say that uh, Elijah didn't actually die. He just becomes unbodied, takes the fiery chariot, right? You know, so there, there, there's some things here that are beyond our... I think there are a lot of things that we worry about, think about, and wish Jesus had told us more about, mm. that it wouldn't do any good to tell us because we wouldn't be able to understand it at this point anyhow. So you just have to take what's there and say, okay, I don't know the rest. Maybe someday he'll explain it. Maybe not. Maybe it's something I don't need to know at all. Yeah. But it's like the questions that kindergarten and pre-kindergarten kids sometimes ask you. There's no way that you can put it in words that they can understand because they don't have the experience and the knowledge yet for it to make sense to them. And I think there's a lot of things that we ask right. about God in the Bible that God says, just just wait. If you need to know, I'll let you know. But until then, just relax. Well, that's right. where faith is. Yeah, yeah, that, that we have faith that God knows what he's doing, whether he tells right. us or not. Right. We don't have to know all the answers to have faith. No, and he doesn't need to ask our permission. We sometimes think that we shouldn't do anything unless he's checked with us first. Hey, Chris Quinn, would you shut those doors? <laughs> Thank you. As much as we like the music. Yes. <laughs> this will very much be on the uh, recording. They will hear the choir. Yes. <laughs> This is the uh, disadvantage of having a good microphone. So, um, yeah. So, a, a lot of these things, in terms of the resurrection and the like, um, yeah, it's okay to ponder them, but let's leave them as a mystery, and that's okay too. We we, we trust God to lead us through it. Um, but it's really important for us when we read this. To not come to a, a point where we're like, um, you know, well, our flesh is evil, you know, so we're only going to focus on the spirit. It, no, Paul, Paul is doing this to drive a point and, and to teach us something. He, he's not actually, um, he's not a Gnostic that just wants to get rid of the flesh, you know, uh, but he, he recognizes that in this world we are corrupt. And we are looking forward to the new creation when body and soul will be completely healed in Christ and completely pure. Well, we need our body while we're here. Yes, we do. So if we don't take care of it, our soul won't have any place to be while we're here. Right. So, is that coming through microphones? That didn't make hardly any difference. <laughs> so, um, continuing through Romans 7 here, 
This next side is, is the part that everybody remembers about Romans 7. Uh, or we're getting into that part anyhow. Paul writes, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul starts out, he says, I do not understand my actions. What's his confusion? Yeah, and why does he not want to sin? Because he knows it's wrong. Okay. What else? Yes. Yeah, what else? You're just never satisfied, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> he wants to walk more completely with, with Jesus. Yes, and? <laughs> he agrees with the law. Okay, and? It is good. And? <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. Um, but what has he experienced in Jesus? Grace. Forgiveness, grace. Salvation, mercy, new life, right? Those are the types of themes he's been talking about up to now. I've experienced the most incredible thing in the world. And what am I going to do with it? Share it. <laughs> I'm going to keep on sinning. It's like, oh, why would I do this? Um, are you familiar with a, a Christian performer uh, named Stephen Curtis Chapman? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has a song where he, uh, he, he sings about uh, playing Game Boy standing by the Grand Canyon. And it's, I think it's just this most incredible image. So here you are, you have this incredible, glorious vision. You know, he has experienced the Grand Canyon. He has experienced the, the fullness of the, the greatness of God's love and mercy through the forgiveness, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, this is a guy who says, you know, I, I am the chief of sinners. This is the guy who is constantly haunted by the fact that he persecuted the church and nevertheless God called him to be an apostle to proclaim the gospel. Wow. And then I go and I tee off on John Mark and I call him all kinds of you know, terrible names and what the heck is wrong with me? I think that's the confusion. How can somebody who has experienced this forgiveness, somebody whose sins are washed away, keep going back to this? Um, he says, I do not do what I want, but the very thing I, you know, but I do the very thing I hate. Um, Proverbs 26, 11 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, just really out of the grossness of it. Um, he says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. 
I think that that's what Paul's experiencing here. He's like, why in the world do I keep going back to this? And I'd be willing to bet that we've experienced aspects of this. Maybe, you know, lesser degrees, maybe, maybe the same, you know, depending upon what you've experienced in your life. Um, but uh, um, we just had Thanksgiving. Any of you ever sit down after Thanksgiving and go, why did I eat so much? Right? We know, and yet we do. We know that's not good for us. We know that's not healthy, and yet we overdo it. Or maybe something that, you know, a little bit more clearly damaging, you know, one beer. Fantastic. Well, I had eight. Oh, why did I do that? Right? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do that again. I, you know, you wake up the next morning, you're like, you know. I, I've heard that you wake up the next morning. and <laughs> yeah. And you not only have a headache, but you have gas pain because of all the carbonation. Everything, yeah, yeah. The, the whole, you just oh, feel yeah, wretched. Yeah. Why did I do that? I knew I shouldn't have. That is what Paul is talking about, to some degree. Yeah, uh, so, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So, what's the motivation for the, the wanting and hating that Paul is talking about here? It's the gospel. It, it's, it's the new life that he's had. And it ties right back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. You know, it, 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 you know, I have this new relationship. So I can fear, love, and trust in him above all things. And it relates to that salvation and the gloriousness of, of what he's done in our lives. You know, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. These amazing gifts. But the question that I would leave you with... And this is very much a law question. Is do we actually hate our sin? Not at the moment that we're doing it. <laughs> so. You're drinking that You're enjoying it. Chocolate. Yeah. And this is part of, I think, what we need to wrestle with. Is that a lot of times we cherish our sins rather than hating it. And um, that's why we need repentance and why, why we need to continue to hear the word and for the spirit to continue to work in us and uh, to lead us to love God's ways beyond the world. And it's all his gift and his work. And we're actually going to talk about some of how we can work on some of that in our lives in the sermon, right? You heard that these devotional things so all right got to go to church god's peace be with you all with you.